They say provincial form tends to rub off on Ireland come Six Nations time. And so on the back of back-to-back clean sweeps for the provinces in Europe, I love you this grenade, Eddie Jones. Is there even a point in you and your boys getting on that flight to Dublin next week? Is there even a point in having a Six Nations this year? You are very welcome to the 42 Rugby Weekly. Gavin Casey here. Joking, of course, about the Six Nations before I end up uh, being interwoven into some kind of ironic montage when Wales win the Grand Slam. Uh, the lowest form of wit, in my opinion. But uh, yeah, we have a cracking show coming up. We have an interview with Kira Griffin later on. Firstly, joining me in studio to look back on what was a historic weekend for Leinster, Munster, Ulster and Connacht is the 42.e's own Murray Kinsella. You're just fresh off a plane from London. Murray, how are you getting on? Yeah, good. I had a busy day yesterday over in London for the, the launch of the Six Nations. Uh, disappointingly, not too many verbal grenades from Eddie Jones. Uh, he said he was out for dinner with Warren Gatlin the night before, so maybe it was a late one. Um, wasn't quite his usual um, divisive self, but uh, no, loads of good stuff from Joe Schmidt, who was in really good form and seems really relaxed about things to come. So yeah, exciting times. Uh, yeah, I'd say uh, dinner with the aptly named Gats would be a serious crack, all right. Now, while we were audibly disgusted when Andy Dunn told us last week that he was going on holidays, bringing to an end his historic run of seven consecutive podcast appearances, we are in equal measure delighted to be joined this week by former Ireland international and former Dragons head coach as well, Bernard Jackman. Bernard, how are you? Very good, thank you. Thanks for the invite. Not at all. Great to have you here. Um, we can count on you, Bernard. Like uh, I've kind of got abandonment issues after Andy. I uh, was getting used to him there. <laughs> but uh, you're, you're, we'll see how he behaves today. We'll see how he behaves oh, okay. today. If you're nice to me. There's no coffee. That's a that's a negative to start off. But uh, we'll, we'll kick on. Can we get the man a coffee? <laughs> Uh, how have you been keeping? Very good, thanks. Yeah, very good. Being trying to keep busy and uh, be lucky enough to pick up some media stuff um, and been watching a lot of rugby, but watching it from probably a different angle. When you're going from week to week as a as a coach, um, it's it's very analytical, which is obviously great, but it's very focused on on one team. And um, obviously, I think now I can have a, a fresh look at um, you know some some standout teams and just try and. Um, analyze what they're doing, what they're doing well, and and looking forward to the Six Nations as well. Where obviously we see the cream of the crop, and um, looking enough, we're going to see some of the games live, which is which is always good. Yeah, like a difficult way to end the year, I suppose. Um, were you at that point expecting some kind of a development the way it, it unfolded? Yeah, or? yeah. Listen, things have been uh, difficult for for a while. There's a lot of restructuring going to happen in Welsh rugby, or and um, you know, I certainly felt we needed to get strong support financially to to be able to kick on and um wasn't really clear that was gonna that was gonna come. So um yeah, listen, I'm disappointed that I didn't get to finish a job there, but um if you're not gonna get to finish it, you're better off being out as quickly as possible and and um you know involved with an organization where you can start something fresh or add to something that's already there. I mean all along I suppose you would have spoken about it being kind of a three year project and you needed time obviously to not only build a squad but almost restructure a club in a way and change the culture there okay granted that the form wasn't great say towards the end of 2018 do you feel as though it was a rash decision on their behalf or as in do you feel as though you should have been given more time um listen i think i think if you're going to give me more time you need to you need to see it out long term long term and uh um part of that you know, part of that was was kind of having guarantees around around budgets, and um, you know, if if they can't get those budgets, um, well, then it's better to have you know have clarity on that, and then then make a decision. So, um, it's not. I, I I've no regrets around the restructuring we've done, um, and I just hope the next man in gets a chance to uh, to keep those those structures in place and and hopefully add to them. 
And like, obviously, you're, you're going to remain in coaching. I remember you mentioned uh, earlier this month that like maybe in a different kind of a, a circumstance you would have worked under a mentor at some point. Uh, if you do get back into it, do you reckon it'll be kind of in a head coaching capacity or would you be looking at uh, an assistant role somewhere to kind of rebuild? Um, I've no preference, to be honest. Like I really enjoy head coaching and I enjoy trying to um, to lead an organisation and, and you know develop people on and off the field. Uh, but having said that, I uh, you know, I definitely do feel that some stage in my career, and obviously, the, uh, the sooner that happens, the the better. Um, that it would be great to have you know an experienced head coach who's been at an elite level. And you know, I'm thinking about Paul and and uh, Paul Connell and, and Mike Prendergast and in Stade Francais under someone like Heineken Mayer, you know, um, John Fogarty and and Felipe Conaponi working and Leo working with Stewart to a certain extent. Um, you know, we saw uh, Nigel Carroll and, and Jimmy Duffy resign this week, and I think Andy Friend has been a, a really good figurehead for them. Um, you know, and obviously uh, people like Warren Gatlin. There's not many that you would say, "Oh, I'd love to work for him," but um, there's still a few, and uh, I think that would be um, educational for me and it'd make me better. But yeah, you don't always those opportunities don't always arise either. But definitely it was something I would look at um working for working as part of a, a coaching team, you know, in a in a probably a, a successful, well 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 funded organization. I love the way you can't switch off the coaching brain when you're even watching Roby now. Are you taking loads of notes? Are you watching through your sports code analysis software? Yeah, I, I, I don't yeah. Watching live is um I like watching live, but I only really get stuck into it when you have it downloaded and, and converted yeah. into into sports code where you can actually uh, clip things as you go or you you know you can analyze it per per sector whether it's you know turnovers one or or you know uh, kicks from hand and, and just really re- reconfirm your initial thought or debate it and then try and find out why you, you made a you know a, a bad decision so uh, yeah my laptop um, I need to actually get more storage because I've just been, <laughs> <laughs> I've been in, in, in Dragons we had a, a server where everything automatically got uploaded to, but yeah, um, yeah um, on the way home from here I'm going to buy a, buy some buy some storage because I'm just being downloading games um, left right <laughs> and Super Rugby starts soon as well and that's obviously you know always uh, interesting and particularly sometimes they're ahead of the curve in terms of trends uh, because obviously they've had a you know sometimes we six nations not six nations Northern Hemisphere rugby you know pre-season is, is coach's opportunity to really change things and then obviously it becomes uh, quite difficult and um, from in club rugby to, to change things week to week whereas what we generally see at the start of the Super Rugby is you know those coaches thought process over their pre-season off-season in terms of how the game can go and what changes they can make so it's always for me anyway it's always interesting to to try and break down what's happening in the game and I think that also for Six Nations I mean you know round one is going to be fascinating because the coaches have had since November to to look and analyse and also they've had two weeks prep so Ireland are in Portugal this week and you know England are going away and, and I think it's generally round one where you see if there's something different going to happen more so than round two, three, four, and five. Yeah. Uh, I remember an interview you did in September, I think it was, with just the Pro 14 website and you were just referring to some of the coaches that you admired and Bill Belichick was one. He yeah. had a, a success over the weekend and Sean Deitch was another and you'd mentioned you were planning on, yeah. on sitting down with him. Did uh, you ever my, get the chance to do it? We didn't. Uh, now he's open to it and um, uh, I still have the, the contact there and uh, that's something there's a there's a sports kind of high performance conference on in, in March in London that I'm going to go to. So I'm going to try and tie in a bit of um, CPD and around that. And hopefully I'll go down to Southern Hemisphere 
over the next couple of months and spend um, spend some time in. I, I've spent I've been very lucky. I spent time in the Queensland Reds. Um, I spent time in the Stormers, and I've spent uh, a week. I spent time in New Zealand with the Crusaders and the Highlanders, etc. So um, I'm looking to see you know where would be a good place to go for for some CPD. And to be honest, what will happen is I'll, I'll I'll watch the first couple of rounds and see what club are are doing something <laughs> different, and then you know try and make contact with their coach. And um, definitely looking to continue to try and upskill as quickly as possible. Super. Uh, you were referred to the Six Nations there and we will be talking about it today. We'll be talking about it in a lot of detail next week as well with uh, Simon Zebo at Liberty Hall Theatre. That's on the 31st, which is a Thursday, uh, 7 o'clock, 20 euro, free copy of the book, few points, be grand. But Murray, you were in London yesterday, as you mentioned, um, a busy day for yourself, a bit of a scattered day, I think, when you've got so many people speaking, so many people involved. Yeah, it is. You're essentially got all the head coaches, all the captains. Uh, they've got to go through about seven or eight different rooms for interviews for online, radio, daily newspapers, Sunday newspapers. So there's a bit of fatigue there on probably both sides. Um, but you do get to get a sense of what's to come and, and wow, the build up to that England-Ireland game is immense. A lot of talk about the physical side of it yesterday from both coaches talking about the size of the respective teams and trying to say that you're bigger than us um, that kind of thing but uh, the word brutality was often mentioned um, and I think it was just highlighted again by Joe, Joe Schmidt as he tends to do the the returning Vunapolar brothers Manu Tuolagi's back in the mix Chris Ashton's in that squad uh, England are going to be in a stronger place than they have been probably for the last two seasons I'd say and given the fact that they've lost those games to Ireland in the last two years as well um, there's going to be a lot of motivation there especially with that build-up, as Bernard says, loads of time to analyse. It's interesting that they're both in Portugal at the moment. A 20-minute drive separates the two teams, so there was lots of talk about spying as well yesterday. The Bielsa effect. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think they'll have a really good sense of of what's coming, albeit with England having a, a few new faces back. I just can't wait for that game to, to kick off. It's going to be fascinating to see what Joe Schmidt has has built on, on what Ireland did in 2018. Yeah, it's a dangerous one, Bernard, to open a Six Nations, isn't it? Yeah, I think so, and I think... Um we have to we have to realise England are a different animal with Vunapola the Vunapola's back in and potentially too laggy. Um and I think as well, potentially England last year. I know they definitely put a huge focus on their conditioning. You know, Eddie Jones when he when he came into the job, he said, Oh, but we're not fit enough by the time of the World Cup, we're gonna be the fittest team in the World Cup. And that spark and intensity kind of and I suppose a new voice led to much better results year one. So obviously they had a um, a big bounce factor and, and were successful. And you know, then he brought a young group, I don't know if you remember, to, to Argentina and they set record levels in terms of their intensity, um, in terms of what they could do on a on a Tuesday. And when the senior players came back in that November, he kind of said, Look at there's the there's a new target. And um a lot of them broke broke down um, or actually just looked flat on on a Saturday um, and he kind of stuck through that in the Six Nations and said no no it's about 2019 Japan um, but obviously results didn't go his way um, now he had a little you know November was better um, but I think now he really I think given the backlash in the media um, I think he'll be very focused on the Six Nations as, a, as an entity in itself with a view to obviously trying to win it but if not have confidence and momentum going towards the World Cup rather than just saying, oh, it's just Six Nations is a prep for the World Cup and we're going to, you know, get a, a pre-season in during the Six Nations. So uh, I think England will be a lot better. Um, and if you look at their locks, for example, like they've got, you know, the four locks, Courtney Laws, uh, Etoje, Cruz and Launchbury, you know, one of them won't make the match day squad. Um, so that gives you 
you know, an example of, of strength and depth they can have if in, in certain positions. Just briefly, on the, you, you mentioned intensity there. People who haven't been in a press and rugby environment probably don't realise what that is in, in terms of training. When you're talking about him setting new record levels, you're talking about distance covered or speed yeah, covered? Yeah, So effectively, everything's measured by GPS. and um, There's different barometers, but effectively, it's one of the, the simple ones is metres per minute. Okay, so he, and the modern... The modern way of training is is that you know you do your clarity or learning on a Monday, so that's where you actually learn the stuff, and that can be slow and you can be called different things, walk and talk, or but um, that's where you basically have to learn and, and take on board the information of of maps and and patterns or or defensive systems or kick chase um, scenarios. But then on your on your Tuesday Wednesday, or if if that's the model you use, or Tuesday Wednesday off Thursday. Um, uh, effectively that's your, your work days and it's about trying to get the most quality and quantity in in a, in a limited amount of time so the, the S&C coaches are or the you know the head of performance are basically shouting about time on feet you know because the more time on feet the more risk of, of injury so coaches now are trying to get um, as maximum intensity in uh, into those Tuesday Thursday sessions um, in, the, in the least amount of time and that's why the learning has to be done beforehand but effectively Eddie Jones last uh, or historically um, had kind of pushed the boundaries in terms of that that intensity plus duration and it effectively led to um, some flat performances on a Saturday but he was he was testing the, the water you know and he's putting pressure back on on the players to go back to their clubs and say we're not fit enough so he was trying to rise the, the standard of, of fitness in, in England um, by what he was doing at camp now obviously you know there was a backlash from from owners of clubs and there was a lot of high profile injuries as well um, so I think he's had to adapt a little bit but he, he, I'd say if you speak to Eddie about it he'll he'll still maintain that he's driven standards up so if you look at the Vunapolis for example I mean look at their body composition now compared to where they were three years ago and look at their effectiveness not just for 40 minutes you know if you, if you need Mako to go 80 minutes mm-hmm. he probably could Um and that's been down to, I suppose, Eddie driving the standards on. But effectively, yeah, it's it's, it's meters per minute is probably the easiest way of describing it. And uh, the young kids they brought to Argentina, Argentina were bringing better scores in. And maybe that, maybe that was a, a it sounded great, but maybe it actually had a negative effect um, in terms of him trying to push the older players harder when maybe you know at this stage of their career they don't need to to do that. Mm, it'll be interesting to see if they get payoff. I guess from Ireland's point of view. Um, the news was that Johnny Sexton's going to be okay for, for that opener, which is obviously a fantastic boost. Joe Schmidt did speak a bit about the two second row losses. Ty Byrne's going to be missing for the first two rounds, hopefully back for the third. Ian Henderson, it sounds like, is going to be back only for the second last and, and final round, potentially even just the final round. So that is a blow. Um, obviously, Quinn Roo comes into the squad and Ulton Delan and himself will be kind of vying for that That. Uh, bench spot in the second row that aside though Ireland looking pretty good health and Joe was talking about trying different combinations in the centre giving Chris Farrell a, a bit of time and a couple of the reps as well uh, he called him a big strong man and that, certainly that's what will be required against against England so all, all round I think Ireland are in pretty good health and it just bodes really well for what should be a brilliant opener um, Warren Gatland obviously was um, in pretty confident form as well he's got a, a really good squad injuries in, in the back row Obviously, um, they've lost some some big players there, but they've got a good bit of depth and a nice bit of momentum from November as well. Yeah, Wales are kind of, I think, given Ireland are playing England in the opening weekend, that's dominating the news here. But Wales are coming into the tournament in fine form in their own right. Like yeah, they're, they, they're not even dark horses, they're right up there. Historically, under, under um, Warren, they've always had to struggle in November. Um, but obviously, they went unbeaten this November. And 
I think it's actually interesting the, the dynamic. So you got our, the Irish players going from successful provinces into into Team Ireland, where historically they've been successful. Um, it's Wales is a little bit the opposite. So for the last four or five years, apart from the Scarlets two years ago and last year, to a certain extent, making uh, you know making European or Champions Cup semi final. Three quarters of the um, of the Welsh team are going into ca- Wales camp from underperforming regions, and I think Warren has been able to play on that a little bit. Um, I because you still have some really good world class players, but probably the strength and depth of the regions isn't isn't at the level required to compete in Europe. But he he's able to play on that. Obviously, he has created a successful model in terms of what he what they do in terms of the culture of the Welsh team, in terms of the facilities, um, in terms of the coaching staff, you know, people like um uh Bobby Stringen, who's like the Paul Stringen nickname is Bobby, who's the um ex WAS England Lions fitness coach. He's got an unbelievable charisma about him. Players respond to him. Then obviously you've got, you know, Warren as head coach and you've got Sean Gatlin. I think the biggest thing if you're talking about Wales at the moment is their defence. It's they're much more uh, their strength more lies more in their defence than their attack in November. You know, if you think back to the Australia game, um there was no real scoring opportunities for Wales, but um they just held Australia t- trialless and I think that's Sean Edwards' effect um, and the clarity and the influence he has, you know, means Wales are are contenders, I think. Um, and also you throw in a couple of world-class players like George North, you know, Alan Wynne-Jones, Fox Davies, and they they have they have a real chance of doing something this year, I think. Yeah, there's a question here uh, that we got on Instagram from a gentleman by the name of Boganator. And Boganator asks, uh, do you think Scotland could be top two contenders this year? I mean, obviously Ireland will win, but... <laughs> yeah, confident there. Yeah. Um, I think just with the strength of those three teams you mentioned there, probably not this year. Um, Gregor Townsend has built a, a high-tempo um, philosophy and a squad who are well capable of playing that. Guys like Stuart McAnally, um, really comfortable in that, even in the forward pack. And you've seen that the strength of the Scottish uh, regions has been really, really uh, encouraging as well for Scottish rugby. The two of them are into the quarterfinals in the Heineken Cup for the first time and uh, that's really exciting. It is going to be an extremely competitive championship so in terms of this question I'd be surprised if they're in that top two uh, come the end. Yeah, would you go along with that Bernard? A bit difficult this year maybe but certainly going in the right direction. Yeah, I think the way and this is no respect to, to Scotland but I think they're, the way they play will catch teams on a one-off, more often, more so than be consistent and and win, you know, four out of five, you know, uh, or, or or win the Grand Slam. I think that high-risk rugby is is brilliant to watch, and it's pro- and I agree, it's the it's the way forward for Scotland because of of resources. But um, I think you know, Six Nations, you know, uh, winter conditions, tight games, and uh, you know, away from home in. Um, in the spring, I don't see them being able to, you know, get enough wins to be a top two team. To be honest, but I think they are very dangerous. And if you go there uh, and you underperform, and you know you you your intensity level and your your work rate and your communication in defence isn't top level, they will expose you. But that doesn't really happen that often. I think international rugby ha- is more about power now, um, and they don't have a lot. They don't have as much power as everyone else. They have you know the offloading game, the high tempo game. Um, but it's harder to implement that, I think, at, in the Six Nations, you know, than potentially it is on a, uh, um, a when you have to go away from home than it is in November when you have all your home games or, you know, when you go on a summer tour somewhere and the conditions are a little bit better. 
Spot on. Uh, Murray, you caught up with Ireland captain Kira Griffin ahead of the Women's Six Nations. Yeah, they've been busy getting prepared for it. Um, obviously had two November tests against the USA and England. Um, some tough results, but some promising emerging players is, is the theme of the squad really at the moment. 17-year-old Bevan Parsons, um, 18-year-old Agenia Breen coming through. Um, Parsons obviously will be missing the opening of the Six Nations. Unfortunately, she's away with the Seven squad. But there is this new wave of talent uh, being combined with some of the more experienced uh, girls in the in the squad. Um, and it's an exciting time. Adam Griggs is trying to get them to play a very expansive, very high-tempo um, very kind of autonomous style of rugby pushing their decision making um, and certainly he's trying to get that leadership built throughout the culture of the squad as well as just on the pitch so um, it is an exciting time they'll be looking certainly to build on last season the two wins and I don't think they were content with that but um, ch- chatting to Kira, it sounds like there's some great work being done I was looking through the squad and obviously there are a lot of new girls young girls in the squad now first of all I guess how's that been mixing the Older crew with the younger. <laughs> the older than the new, yes, but I'm the old crew now. Um, yeah, it's been really good. Uh, it's been really exciting to all the girls are really stepping up and putting their hand up for selection. And so that's something we're really trying to build is build that strength and that depth in the squad. And you can see that with the young girls coming through that, you know, they're, they're doing really well at training. We had a training match there at the weekend against Wales and they did really well. Some put their hands up for selection. So it's great to see that and there's no fear. That's yeah. what you want to see girls coming up who don't have fear that they're just playing like to play any match and that's what you need going forward. Yeah, I mean, the talent seems to be incredible. Obviously, Baven kind of made the headlines so young, but Laura Sheehan scoring tries as well. It yeah. must be exciting to get that level of girls who are actually ready now. It is, yeah, it's brilliant. So I suppose that's developing the grassroots rugby, that developing the basic skills at a young age and I suppose playing it all along. Obviously, you transfer from other sports, skills are transferable, but it's such a bonus when you have been playing rugby from a young age. You can see like you develop those hand-eye coordination, identifying space, evading tacklers, and developing that at a young age just benefits you in the long run. Yeah. Have you done particular things? Obviously, you're the, the captain, so leading that kind of mm. cultural side of things as well, I guess. Have you done certain things to, because it is a new squad, yeah. One from your face. Have you have you put a lot of folks on that? I have, yeah. You've done a few, I suppose, team activities um, after trainings and, and ca- for an up for the weekend in Dublin that I might do a team bonding activity. Uh, okay. Kind of, we have mini units in the squad, which are really positive. So sometimes during our mini units, might give you a challenge. And I suppose with all of us, we get very competitive. <laughs> so it's quite good for building morale and just a, a good te- a good self of team in the unit. Yeah. What have some of those challenges been? Uh, one was uh, I gave an egg and a piece of paper, some paper, masking tape and straws, and you got to stop the egg from breaking. So it develops a good tactics and <laughs> building as a team and whoever whoever's egg didn't break wins. Okay. It was very good. Who's most competitive? <laughs> Lindsay Pete. But I was shadowed out, very competitive. <laughs> she can't lose. But um, yeah. you mentioned that warm-up game against Wales. Um, obviously five tries, nice to get a few and, yeah. and timely. What, what did you feel about the performance in general? Were you happy with it? Is there yeah, I was very happy with it. Um, obviously, look, it's never a complete performance. There's things to improve on. But that's the joy of having this weekend's camp. You can improve on those things and fine-tune. But what I saw really good was that young girls standing up, but also we're trying a new game, a way of playing, a game plan, and you can see that the game plan was working and girls are buying into that. And it's great to get that confidence from it as well. Yeah. And I suppose the fact that we, we're a good attacking team, so to get that confidence in our attacking gameplay as well. Like Adam is... Well, just over a year, more than a year in, in the job now. How familiar does the style feel? Because he has a particularly mm. expansive style that he yeah. wants to play. Is everyone very comfortable with that now, do you feel? Yeah, that's one thing you can see this year. Everyone's, I suppose that's the joy of having the November and the October camps that we're all a lot more confident in our style of playing the way we want to play. And that's the joy of now for these few camps in January that it wasn't going over your set plays and all that. It was literally fine-tuning because we knew 
the way we wanted to play and the phases we wanted to play. And that's, that was a bonus coming into this gen these January camps. Yeah, not an easy task first off. No. Uh, what do you learn from November, I guess, about, about England and, and what you need to do better? Yeah, so England are a very physical side and they have, so they're a very talented side too and they'll play from anywhere in the pitch. Um, for us, we were developing in terms of, I suppose, our, our game management, our game plan, um, developing, a, I suppose, a defensive set and just improving things like that and improving as a collective that everyone can interlink with each other backs and forwards. It doesn't matter what number's on your back. Everyone can be a playmaker and that's something that we're really trying to drive home and it's exciting. It's exciting to see how people are playing and I'm kind of looking forward to kicking it off really. Yeah. Um, I know England's a tough task but Energy or Park at home, it's a lovely atmosphere when you get that crowd and it gives you that extra gear when you're, when you're struggling. It gives you that gear to keep going and um, it's a good way to focus the mind too, get ready for the job at hand. Yeah, I remember speaking to yourself and Adam after the USA game I think it was and the breakdown was a big one. And obviously, if you want to play a tempo, the breakdown has to be really yeah. efficient. Have you worked hard on that area? We have, yeah. We've worked very hard in the breakdown. And you can see sometimes in our match against the challenger against Wales, is we were really flooding the breakdown. It's Obviously, you want that quick ball to play quick. If the ball is slow, your, gate, your play is slow. So it's important. Of, but also, I suppose, being clinical at the breakdown too, that resourcing with just the right number of players, not overcommitting. And that's what we're working hard on. Yeah. What about for you at the defensive breakdown? Obviously, there's a few girls in the squad who like a, yeah. a poach. Is that something that you've... I don't know, have you, have you learned from certain people or is that a skill that comes with experience? I suppose it comes with, I've always loved the breakdown from an early, from underage. <laughs> um, I love the breakdown, it's something I've always enjoyed. But yeah, looking up, I suppose when I was playing, I was watching Claire Malloy, Heather O'Brien, Paula Fitz on the, on the TV. Mm. Um, then I got to play with them, so you learn so much from them. And the breakdown is something I realise that you get with experience. So before you'd always want to be in every tackle all the time. And now you realise sometimes it's working in your twos and your trees. So I'm making that chop and then you're in the poach and that comes with experience. And that's something I, I try to improve every game. I like to give myself targets every game for how many poaches I want or how many, I suppose, how many disruptions I can, can make in a match. And that's something personally I like. Um, just give myself targets, and inter particularly in the breakdown. Yeah. It's an area I love. Have you always been in back row? Always been a back row, yeah, from under 14s up. Okay. Um, always six, seven, or eight. So, uh, yeah, I, I haven't changed much. Yeah, good body work behind you. You yeah. haven't lost the Kerry Axon. Where did you first start playing? I started playing in Castle Island, uh, okay. Castle Island RFC. And then I went seniors with Tralee. Um, and now I'm with UL Bowes in Limerick. Yeah. But yeah, I don't think I'll never shift my Kerry accent, I'd say. <laughs> yeah, it's nice, don't worry. <laughs> Castle Island, obviously, with a nice bit of history. Obviously, Kerry's yeah. not renowned as a, as a rugby county, but no. nice bit of history there. Well, yeah, a good bit of history in Castle Island. A lot of internationals coming from that area. Um, so, like, you've liked some Moss Kane, Mick Galway, Tom Doyle, Siobhan Fleming, Sharon Lynch, uh, Siobhan Braston from Ballymac as well. Uh, so there's a good few when you think about it, like you'd like to JJ and Sean McCarthy. So there's actually a good, from a small area, there's a, there's a lot, of, lot wearing the green. Yeah, you mentioned before we started chatting just um, that you're back to work tomorrow. I mean, yeah. how are you finding that balance? Because it gets more demanding, I guess, every year with the professional levels you're, you're training to now. Yeah, look, it gets demanding, but I suppose you love it. So you do whatever you can to wear the green jersey. I'm very fortunate now that my school, CBS, they're very very supportive of me and supportive of the time I need for rugby and that's a massive thing for me it's I suppose one less thing to worry about um, but also that they, under, like, they understand the challenges of, of the match and of, of what it takes from you um, but I like I like balancing I like juggling everything and I suppose you'd be looking for something to do if you had time to do so might as well fill it with something so yeah. I suppose work rugby and training is a good way to fill it I don't know how you do I barely <laughs> get to the gym and work I, I guess just to wrap up then it's a really exciting time with lots of young new talent but 
what do you want to get out of Six Nations? Two wins last year. What would mm. be a good return this yeah. year? Yeah, so obviously, look, we finished third last year, but I think some of, we could have improved some performances from last year. That's one thing this year, just to keep improving each match, that you see clear developments and clear progressions in the way we play. Look, obviously, you go out to any tournament to win it. That's the ultimate goal. But for us, if we see good progression and development in each match and a nice, solid team performance, we'd be happy. Great stuff. Best of luck with it. Thanks very much, Mary. Bit of a controversy about Neve Briggs being being left out. Um, what do you think of that? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it's probably a sign of what they're trying to do um, in terms of getting that new wave of talent in, moving it on from where it was. She's very unfortunate. Like from all accounts, she's playing really good rugby with UL Bowes. Uh, Ryan Bailey did a really good interview with her. She's back fit. She's had obviously extensive injury problems over the last probably two years, um, missing that World Cup, her Achilles injury. Uh, really tough times for her. She's happy playing rugby now, so she's going to focus on that. But I think it is disappointing on a, on a personal level for her. Um, Adam Griggs is probably trying to push things on to a, to a different era, I guess. Yeah. And, and, and Neve was really associated with that Grand Slam winning team that maybe put Irish women's rugby onto, onto a different pedestal. So yeah, it is it is controversial, I think. And um, he said he's he's happy to move forward as it is. The this selection is always going to be open for everyone, but she's certainly on the outside for now. It'd be great to see her continue to rehab back from her injuries and, and force her way back in there. Because I think I looked at the the, uh, the squad and some of the games in November and, you know, there is a lot of young, new new players. And, and I think there's definitely the question around, you know, do you interpin that or underpin that with a couple, you know, a couple of really experienced players who can just help those young young players come through quicker but I absolutely understand that you need to redevelop and and, and, and start a new era but um, I think it'd be great it's good to see your back playing really well so you know um, hopefully she's still got something to offer Can mm. I ask you from just a coach's perspective I mean both of you mentioned there that the nature of say rebuilding might mean that you leave some let's call them veterans behind but with a player of her calibre if she's operating at a at a high level and she seems to be on that trajectory at the moment as she rebuilds herself like i i just don't know if i see the logic in in kind of uh, moving away from her completely i mean if you have a high class player within your ranks i mean are, are we suggesting that in order for these young players to kind of thrive someone like neve briggs can't be in the setup like i don't get it is what yeah, i'm saying really uh, we, we're outsiders so we don't um, in terms of what's hap what happens in camp, etc., and what maybe he feels he's got, you know, three or four natural leaders who are ready to step up because there's a there's a vacuum, um, yeah. which obviously he would know better than we do. But um, just from from what we've seen in terms of our quality in the past, and you know, from what I saw in November, it looks like if she gets back to the level she was at, she definitely would be, you know, a contender to start. I I, I would have said, but um, maybe he's just laying down a challenge to her, you know. You know, Joe Schmidt's left Ross Burnout. I know it's a different example, mm -hmm. but you know, someone that we, you know, you probably would say should be could be could be in the squad uh, on form, and it's a case now of how he reacts to that, and 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 the same I think for for Neve, and you know, is it going to make her better? Is it going to help Ireland long term because she's had this little setback? Yeah, we'll have to see. Great interview she did with Ryan Bailey on the forty two. You can find that um, pretty sure just by googling it. Really, uh, Ryan Bailey and Neve Briggs. That'll throw it up. Uh, we'll talk about the provinces momentarily, but we've a load of questions from you guys this week. Um, and as you know, if you listen to the podcast, we give away a copy of Behind the Lines number two to the best question. We might leave uh, Bernard choose that later on, but we'll um, I'll fire you a couple of them. Uh, <laughs> here's one from uh, Or Higgins two three zero eight. 
the username is going to be very complicated at times. Uh, Boganator is a little bit easier. He asks, or she actually, it's uh, Connacht players as a profile picture, so who knows. But um, should Ireland use the Six Nations as a squad strengthening exercise for the Rugby World Cup? We've touched upon this in the past, Murray, and I don't think they will. I suppose he or she is asking, should they though? I can definitely see the value in um, having an element of that. Uh, Joe Schmidt was asked about this yesterday. He said, listen, experimentation is a very broad term. We're experimenting with phase plays, with line-out plays, with guys stepping in for reps and training. I think what the question for us to do is giving guys an opportunity to start. And for me, Joey Carberry having two Six Nations starts under his belt in this campaign would make Ireland a stronger pr- proposition in the World Cup. Um, will Addison potentially having a start, maybe a fullback, someone else who, who's not Rob Carney, would strengthen the squad a little bit more. The same applies with the second row with, with the options you have there and the back row. Like Joe Schmidt's competitive spirit is going to be hard to like dampen from, from his own point of view and the entire squads. You know, They're coming off a grand slam. They want to defend that title um, and it's tough to accept that, oh, we'll not sacrifice this, but we'll reduce our, our full strength in order to, to succeed at the World Cup. However, like the World Cup is everything now. And certainly for Schmidt, um, he, he, again, he mentioned it yesterday, you know, this is his chance, second World Cup, to prepare the the players and the squad as well as he can to to achieve something that Ireland haven't achieved before, which at this stage seems like an unacceptable thing, albeit with a, a difficult quarterfinal to come. Um, so yeah, I can see the value in doing it. Uh, should they do it? That's a question for Joe Schmidt. Um, but if I was the head coach, I'd be potentially doing that. Not not putting in 15 uncapped players or anything like that, but yeah, filtering in those little bits and pieces Um into the into the team, yeah, I, I agree. But I I also think because of what he's done in the past and how he's um, continued to look look to I suppose improve our our depth. There's no massive risk with, with playing Joey um, for two games. Uh, I think it's the right thing to do for sure. But I I don't think I think him that well obviously he didn't have any involvement in it. But Joey moving to Munster um, has created an opportunity now where. If you put him in in a, in a Six Nations game by choice or by or due to injury to Johnny, um, he's in there on form and he's had the experience and and a little a few, a few bad moments which I think is really important for a ten and the pace kicking and cast etc and be able to bounce back from that, um, po- you know post Christmas or, or post uh, post that that little blip. Now he, you know, Joey Carby could play ten for any of the teams in the Six Nations, and and the coach wouldn't be worried about it. And so I think that's done. Will Addison got his opportunity in in November, not obviously as much game time as we would like, but what he what he got, he showed that he's capable of playing international rugby. So again, you could put him in here without any real risk. Um, the only ones that probably you know are are, are risk are obviously likes of Caelan uh, Blade who's in there because of injury. But his form's been good. And then someone like Jack Carty, who hasn't been capped yet, but again, on pure form, you know, um, probably could be in any of the Six Nations squad as well. Yeah. Another question here on the topic of Carberry from um, the wonderfully named Chief Keefe. Uh, Chief Keefe is certainly a man. He asks, with Ross Burns still at Leinster, should Joey make his monster move a permanent one? I didn't realise he was on loan. Chief Keith, <laughs> that is a bit presumptuous. It's a two-year so generous of Leinster, isn't it? It's so generous. Leo but actually be, wants it back for for the weekend. <laughs> yeah. To be to be fair to Chief Keith, I think there would have been certainly I would have presumed that when the move was made mm. down the line when Sexton did step away, that Carberry might move back to Leinster. Now at that point, Ross Byrne probably wasn't as established um, as he is even now, just months later. 
but you know, and you've got Kieran Frawley there, obviously as well. But you know, there, there's room for two, three top class tens at a at a club, so it's not inconceivable that Carberry would go back to Leinster at some point. But do you reckon his long term future is at Munster as things stand, Murray? Yeah, I I would imagine there was an element of that, certainly because it came about so quickly and suddenly, and didn't quite seem to be the one thing he wanted to do. I remember when he came into the room to announce it was done. He seemed kind of emotional and it was clearly all uh, a lot for him at that time. I think that's changed quite rapidly. Like he's clearly enjoying the role of being the man at 10, not sitting in Johnny Sexton's shadow all the time. You can see him and Peter O'Mahony, their relationship on the pitch growing, that respect between them, uh, largely from Peter O'Mahony respecting him now because he's he's run those games and uh, and pulled Munster through in, in some tricky situations. So I think that will have changed quickly. He seems to have settled in really well off the pitch. He seems very content with, with life in Limerick um, and getting home at times as well to see his mates. Um, so yeah, I can imagine him beyond this uh, extending that contract and, and continuing to be the, the number one at Munster. Yeah, listen, I think Munster are a massive club. You know what I mean? I don't think they're a feeder club for, mm. for Leinster and I, I think that um, you know they've won two European Cups you know they're they're ambitious they have chances to win more European Cups he could play a big role in that so I think maybe at the time people felt oh it was just a, a temporary thing and maybe he will come back to, to Leinster but uh, I think that you know if things keep going the way they're going you could I, I could easily see him playing for Munster for the rest of his career you know mm. there's no there's no guarantee he'll come back and I think you know um, I think it's important for, for Munster that he buys into that and it looks like he has and you know I, I just think Munster probably won the the biggest clubs in Europe to be ten at, and you know he's had that opportunity now. And you'd imagine, you'd imagine if it keeps if it keeps going the way it looks like it's going to go, mm. um, he could end up staying there. Also, because like he he's always wanted to be a ten, and Leinster in their eyes he was a fifteen, and they told him that, and that was the plan for recontracting him as a fifteen. He always backed himself to be an out half, and now he's shown us that he certainly is. So that's been a big part of it as well, and and imagine he's. Uh, relishing that yeah there was a nice moment in the second half of that Exeter game which you wouldn't even I couldn't have envisaged even three four weeks ago where once a reward a penalty and Carberry just gestures to Peter Romani posts like without even it was just his, his first inclination like and the pressure on that kick was huge I think it was a winning kick actually yeah. but it's just compare that to the guy you saw in Castor even you know yeah. it's uh, it's crazy how much he's come on in a couple of weeks yeah or even at the start I remember one stage Peter Romani was kind of out of breath he won the first games and Joey Carberry kind of watered his gum shield for him and like, <laughs> almost like the, the underling serving the master but uh, that's changed pretty quickly he tells Peter Romani what to do now yeah I'd say so um, a question here this is actually from last week but we missed it it's, uh, it was sent via email from Aaron Byrne uh, cheers for your email Aaron um, and this is a topic that actually Andy Dunn has touched upon, but I'd be very interested to hear Bernard's perspective on it. He says, Hi, the 42. A lot of people have said that Munster haven't had an identity for a while. Uh, do you think this could have now changed? I love the podcast, Aaron. Thanks very much, Aaron. Bernard, uh, Munster's identity. Um, do you think they've found one? Yeah, I think, I think you have an identity. Um, I, I think, you know, we've got Peter Manny as your captain. Um you know, and you've you've got Keith Earls as a as one of your senior players. You're not going to lose that connection with the past, um, and that's really important. I think maybe maybe when they were having a little bit of a blip, um, it looked like they had lost it, even though Keith Earls and, and Peter were back in there. But if, I think if you're if you're an outsider now and you, you you know you don't know anything about the history of Munster and you go watch Munster play, you know you see you see something that's stronger than the. The, the parts on on the pitch and and the connections back with the fans, um, I think that they've got a a real they've got a, a real I suppose chip on their shoulder about wanting to 
to be the best team in Ireland again. And if you're the best team in Ireland, you have a good chance of being one of the best teams in Europe. I thought um, Tomlin Park um, for the for the derby against Leinster was a turning point. You know, and Munster just needed to win that game by by hook or by crook, and 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 they got the result. And then I think you've seen an upswing, obviously going to Connacht then, and, and really impressive. Gloucester was phenomenal, and Exeter. I think there's no harm what happened against Exeter. I think it's um, it's good for them to be in those tight games and just find a way to win. And that's what Munster were always about. Munster were never about the type of performance we saw in Gloucester where they you know they win the game by 20 points they've always been more like the game against Exeter where you know it's nip and tuck and it's cup cup final rugby and you know they grind away to a win and and um I think that their identity is incredibly strong again and I think it will get stronger and you got people like Felix and Jerry Flannery you know in in the coaching staff as well and um you know, Niall O'Donovan as manager, all that stuff is 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 really important to um to make sure that Chris Farrell comes from from Grenoble or um you know one of the South African players you know come in and they realise straight away that they're they're playing for something special and that's really hard to um I suppose replicate and I think that's maybe you know going on a bit off topic but the English Premiership teams like Was for example last weekend the players they had in the field you know they should have been more than a match to make the, a much more competitive game than it was but you just get the sense that at the moment in Ireland um, you know players are just willing to commit a little bit more sacrifice a little bit more because of the big picture and, and the identity that the Irish provinces have and um, Saracens, are, Saracens have, have managed to manufacture that in, in what they've built um, Exeter have a very unique identity and culture and that's made them successful um, but some of the other clubs are just are just struggling a little bit with, with that but definitely I, I think um, you couldn't say that Munster don't have an identity I think you have a very strong identity and it's a big driver for them Say if we could just move it or specify it to their style of play say like if it's not just the culture within the club but what they're actually doing on the pitch and we probably saw kind of similar performances in Galway and Gloucester the Exeter game was probably a little bit in a way a little bit more similar to the Leinster game at home but I suppose, I, I guess what Andy has mentioned in the past was that he was doubtful that they kind of would be able to, I suppose, revert back to the style of play that they had in like the mid-2000s when they were at their peak with somebody like Joey Carberry at 10, who's very different to Ronan O'Gara, and that would determine that you have to play differently. Like, do they have a an on-field identity that you can identify I, I, still, I, I still think to be honest their, their attack is a, is work in progress in terms of um, I guess Gloucester were able to bully Gloucester you know they went 25 phases one out runners and eventually space opened up um, but Exeter they weren't really able to, to do that I think what they have is individuals you know so you've got Earls Conway um, etc Joey who can beat people one on one um, but I think it's you know we saw against Connacht a little bit more um, shape on their attack but I definitely don't think I wouldn't say their attack's the best part of their game uh, yes um, but that's that's natural enough I think Joey's still he's still only there you know since effectively the summer and then he was gone for, for November so it will take a little bit, a little while to, and he's going to be gone now for a block of Six Nations I think it'll be two years three years before you really see the Munster attack being you know Clarity, real clarity about how they want to play. I think at the moment they can be top four in Europe, top four in the in the Pro 14, um, with their defence, set piece, and, and kicking game. It's concerning, I guess, that the strike, the yeah. work off set piece just isn't clicking, and guys overrunning ball and 
those little details that you think you can get right beyond an issue of our style of play, just launching, um, it's been really inconsistent. I'd say that's really frustrating them. It just feels like it needs a big performance or one of the moves to work perfectly and then suddenly that confidence floods through everything. Um, so I think once that does happen, then we'll start seeing more of that shape as well, once they can get a good platform to, to, to play off. Yeah, I think as well, it depends on the head coach's um, philosophy to a certain extent. So I'd say, I, I think the most creative team of set-piece in Ireland is Connacht. They're even more creative than Leinster. But Andy Friend, you know, Australian influence, Sevens, they obviously, I suppose, put more of a priority on that in terms of their, you know, their, their core rocks of their game. I think if you look at, you know, uh, Munster and and their biggest influence, which is obviously Johan, you know, it wouldn't be that. It wouldn't be your first phase um, strike. So it'd be more around, you know, the core fundamentals of the game, which would be for me, for what from what I've seen, for them is is obviously kick game, um, kick to contest. Um, Set piece line up mall is, is a big thing for them. Defensive line is a big thing for them, and um, and their defence. But as as those things become really locked in, and 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 you know that they're they're going to be consistent, then you can add a little bit more. But I don't think Munster would ever be you know as focused on on set piece you know power plays as as Connacht, given their coaching staff, and that's fine. Mm-hmm. You know you want everyone to be. Um, well, it's better if everyone has their own unique way of playing yeah it's going to be interesting against Edinburgh because those big rocks you mentioned there are very similar to Edinburgh's aren't yeah. they the line out box kicking through Henry Pergos um, defensive stuff has been really good and, and that's helped them grow back to where they are at the moment and Munster have that in buckets like they made 198 tackles I think and Exeter had 25 minutes possession which even for Exeter is incredible. Yeah. So like clearly the buy-in from the players and as you mentioned, that culture is still there. So um, yeah. Yeah, well, I, I think it's, a, it's Edinburgh Munster is going to be fascinating. I think the only difference, Edinburgh are a very uh, conservative team, but they've got Mata uh, playing eight who, who makes yeah. things happen. And uh, that, you know, so people, if you do a highlights video of Edinburgh this year and only watch the highlights, you'd say, oh wow, Edinburgh are playing unbelievable brand of rugby, but it's pretty much based around you know one or two guys. Whereas, um, But I do think it's a great draw for Munster to go to Edinburgh uh, as an away draw it's definitely a, a winnable game for them Yeah Aaron's question has kind of led us into the provincial chat that we'd promised at the top of the show um, I suppose we can we can nearly move on from from Munster in terms of the, the draw you reckon it's kind of favourable I guess if you're going to go away from home Edinburgh is decent Yeah, <laughs> without, be happy enough with it like. Yeah without disrespecting Edinburgh that's the easiest draw of the, of the lot otherwise you're going to Leinster or Racing you know um, really tough uh, away games so I think they'll believe that they can go and win that um, while trying to negate those strengths of, of Edinburgh's play um, so yeah they're they're in a really good spot now Munster and and as we've said you know the culture side of things is really good so hopefully they can keep making those improvements in attack Ulster Jesus it was looking dodgy there for a while and they turned it around and what an achievement by them we said when the when that pool was drawn one of the first podcasts we did, we fancied them to finish bottom, I think, certainly I did, and we did not expect them to get out of the uh, pool. And yeah, yeah, there they are. Yeah, and Dan McFarland was rightly proud afterwards, pointing out there's five wins in six games in that pool, which we did not foresee at all. And um, that was in between stopping the press conference to have a look at Munster's mauling in the background on TV, uh, his, his area of passion. He loves them all. Yeah. <laughs> he does love them all. Um, but li- we shouldn't, uh, it shouldn't mask the fact that the first 50 minutes for them were really poor. Mm. They're clearly uh, a, a work in progress and even the line out was really poor. They couldn't get anything going in attack because of that. Um, 
just sloppy handling errors as well. The breakdown was was a real area of weakness. Just the security of it, even guys at times clearing too deep and leaving the ball exposed there in, in good positions for, for Leicester to get an easy turnover. Um, but it did. The, the last 30 minutes changed completely. They f- figured out that breakdown, got that really secure. They got the kind of um, high-speed recycle that, that Dan McFarland placed a, a big enf- emphasis on. You saw the, the line-out come, come good, a, a mall try obviously for Marty Moore and Billy Burns' beautiful chip kick. He's really good with that attacking kicking um, and I think he actually credited Dwayne Peel for for spotting that Leicester for some reason were pushing their full-back up into the defensive line and, and defending with 15 at times in the front line which is um, asking for trouble there. Uh, good finish for Balakoon. So, um John Cooney as well, we should mention his kind of composed influence. Nothing too flashy, but he came off the bench, really confident, really good body language, um, kicked well. Uh, and obviously that that uh, conversion uh, for the Marty Moore try was really good as well. So it, it lifts everything again for them. Um, and yeah, a great achievement to get out of the pool. Yeah, we'll talk about Leinster as well. But just from Ulster's perspective, going to Dublin for that quarterfinal, bit of a free shot for them, Bernard, isn't it? Yeah, I actually think, to be honest, uh, if you for Ulster, it was either the best draw was Leinster or or Edinburgh you know I think obviously Ulster um, I don't think they have the quality to win the competition this year um, in terms of you know over if the over a course of three or six or seven games I think you know in the in the last eight in terms of the quality that they're with now you know they wouldn't finish top two but I think coming to to Dublin um, it is a freebie and because of the familiarity between you know Ulster, Leinster all the Irish players um, they will fancy your chances on a one-off of of having a, crack, a good crack off Leinster, it's much easier for me. It's much better chance for them to win this game, I think, than them going to Racing or Saracens. Not that I don't Leinster aren't as good as Racing or Saracens, but I just think that the the fact that it's an inter pro will actually make it closer. And I think it's a massive pressure on Leinster uh, for that game to to beat Ulster because obviously they're expected hands down to to beat them. And I think Dan McFarland um, will love getting stuck into Leinster now, and particularly the fact the last game was a very one side. Excuse me. Um, and obviously they send a second string down. I think he'll have some tricks up his sleeve. Yeah, looking at Leinster then, Murray, it's been kind of an odd season in the sense that they've been largely excellent again, uh, but with all great teams, you kind of run out of things to say at a certain point. And in fairness, people have pointed out maybe they haven't quite hit the heights of last year yet. But I mean, they were dominant again in Coventry, as you would expect. And they will expect to reach a semi-final at the very least again. Yeah, it was a really strange game actually 20 and up at half time and then the kind of energy almost went out of it when it went out of it but it showed again that Leinster are capable of playing very different ways they do tend to have a lot of possession they are very confrontational and physical and at times the, the kind of beautifully uh, creative tries they score almost mask that um, and people don't focus on it but their kicking game was really good their maul was superb like they got set so uh, quickly Wasps just couldn't defend it at all and, and Sean Cronin gets two tries out of that I thought Jamison Gibson Park was really good at scrum half um, obviously massively disappointing for Luke McGrath to miss the Six Nations with a, a knee injury again um, but what a what a backup scrum half you have and a backup out half in Ross Byrne probably the best uh, second choice if you want to call him that halfback pairing in Europe Gibson Park really good decision making around, around the breakdown uh, just in terms of which option he hits short runners a little bit further out with a pass to the backs looked really confident he box kicked well he's he's had to learn that since coming over from New Zealand um, and he's a guy who qualifies actually for Ireland in June so potentially even come on the radar there probably a bit late c- considering Joe Schmidt has done so much of his planning but it's just s- seamless uh, so often with Leinster when they lose guys lose their halfbacks and, and the next guys in are, are just really strong um, and actually boss games so they're in a really good place and, and 
as Bernard said, Wasps um, on paper should have been a lot more competitive. They did rally a little bit in the, in the start of the second half, but I thought they were disappointing really in Europe again this season. They're in a strange place with guys leaving, some new signings coming in that hopefully will excite their fans, but it, it seems a club in, in real, um, not disarray, but just uh, trying to locate themselves. Obviously, they've had that big move. They've made kind of promises to the players about the training ground, which haven't quite been fulfilled. So um, it's a tricky time for them, but I thought a job well done by Leinster. Yeah, you agree? Yeah, Bernard? I agree. I thought they were very, very poor to start. I think um, they obviously went into the game with a defensive strategy of of no contest in the rook. Uh, so they made a load of tackles in the first 20 minutes, but the Leinster rook speed was ridiculously quick and um, they just found themselves on, on the back foot. And then um, once Leinster found a weakness uh, from uh, from line-up mall, uh, like Leinster drove over like it was uncontested. It was it was like for an English premiership team where, where that part of the game is so important in terms of winning games, um, week to week in the in the Gallagher premiership, I thought was were were very naive and very poorly organised in that aspect of it. Um, I thought for Dai Young at half time, you know, he must have been wondering, you know, how bad it was going to get. Um, and I think at least they got something positive by a much better second half performance or, or third quarter performance. Leinster obviously, once they sensed a bit of a comeback, they, you know, they put the game to bed again. But um, it's difficult for him. I know they've announced a couple of high profile signs last week, but it does seem. Um, you know the club. The club was on a massive upper curve. We felt you know over the last three or four years, but I think there's going to be another rebuild there. And and unfortunately, it, it's one of those things where I think Dai Young can't do anything about it. It's it's off field um, uncertainty and and you know a lack of security around their their funding or their finance through re, uh, the the refinance to the bond for the stadium, but also the fact that they haven't had a you know a training facility built. Um, the top class players. You know, we'll use that as a as a reason to to move on and, and lose Nathan Hughes to Bristol and and you know Willie Larue, um, you know, two really key performers for them is a is a huge blow. And there's rumours others are are on the way out as well. Mm. Leinster point of view, obviously, Sean O'Brien and Robbie Henshaw were superb on their returns. Um, Sean O'Brien obviously didn't expect to start. Jack Conan pulls out, and he probably did gas a little bit in the second half. But his ball carrying was superb, as as good as it's been for a while. Henshaw was really strong in that area as well, and Joe Schmidt will have taken. Great heart from that. I want to ask you, Bernard, what you think of Jordan Larmour at 15 and his, I suppose, development because he's had a, quite a few games in that position now and there was a doubt, is he a winger, is he 13 even, is he 15? How do you think he's going Um He's going good. Probably there hasn't been, you know, those real eye-catching moments at 15 over the last while and there's always a little error, like an unforced error. He dropped a kick near the end and it was inconsequential to the game, but um, I still think he has those little moments um, where he lapses concentration, which is just holding back. And that's that's understandable. You know, he's um, he's playing, like those European Cup games, uh, you know, he, he, we're, we're a little bit critical of Wasp there, but that's still a massive game to play, you know, for a young player. And um, I think he, he will become an outstanding fullback, but I think... You know, he's still a little bit behind Rob Carney. But I think interestingly, he spoke about Gibson Park becoming Irish qualified in June. There's actually quite a few fellas coming Irish qualified before the World Cup. So Klein, I think, in Munster is 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 eligible. Yeah. Um, is it McCarthy and Connacht is already eligible? So there's a couple of guys that I think three or four years ago, or maybe probably four years ago, Joe Nusifora sat down and made decisions on. Um, and if Irish rugby hadn't have gone as well as it has, and the succession plan hadn't happened as well as it has, that they would have been live options. So, so we obviously we're saying now oh Gibson Park we won't need him in the World Cup but that's only because Marmion Luke McGrath and um, Cooney have 
have come true, which is which is brilliant. But it does mean if if we had a an injury crisis, you know, going into the World Cup, you know, maybe Gabson Park might jump ahead of Caelan Blade, for example. And that you know, there's I think our depth chart is really strong, but actually there's a couple of guys in key positions becoming eligible before the World Cup that are probably just just underneath, which is a great place to be. And also, it's nice not to have to bring them, you know. Um, it's a real testament to kind of what's happening in the provinces in terms of developing players. The Western Province had a fine win out in Bordeaux in an absolute shootout. Had to sign up to the Connacht website to watch the game. Uh, free of commentary, which was actually quite oh, nice. I love it. Yeah, I love it. But also bereft of a clock. So when Jack Hardy scored the <laughs> yeah. scored the intercept at the end, I thought there was ten minutes left. I was like, they're going a bit. They're they're celebrating it a bit uh, manically for for what could be just uh, another score. But yeah, the decisive one in the end. Um, how do you even sum up a game like that, really, Bernard? It was just wild. Yeah, it was wild. And I think you know Connacht liked that kind of game. Um, and Bordeaux didn't really want to play for, and they just kind of. You know, um, went out there and played, which is which has led to a you know cracking game of rugby. Some really nice tries in it, and you know, great boost for Car- for Carty. Obviously, big step up going into camp this week, and and you know, just to finish finish his last game with Connacht before he goes into camp with a with a moment like that um, will definitely give him a, a big boost in confidence. But uh, yeah, it's great. I think first time ever four teams have qualified from Ireland, is it? And uh, mm-hmm. um, yeah, Connacht, Connacht could easily be in a Champions Cup, to be honest. And, you know, I don't need to qualify at a Champions Cup, but they could easily be in a Champions Cup. So they probably, you know, would expect and deserve to be at least qualifiers in the challenge. Yeah. yeah. I think positively for them as well, they, there's an element of rotation into that team. Like Peter McCabe starts, Della Hunt comes in, Connolly, McKeown in the back row, even David Horrocks got a rare enough start. So it's nice for them to develop that depth in their squad which is going to be important particularly over the next few weeks they have lost a few guys into Ireland camp possibly more than people anticipate at the start of the season so for them to maintain that Pro 14 form is going to be really important because they're in such a good place at the moment Bernard mentioned their set piece attack earlier on and there were three tries from line out in this game against Bordeaux I think in the Pro 14 they're actually the highest uh, success rate on line out they're 93% on their own throw so Jimmy Duffy clearly doing good work and then Nigel Carlin's intelligent ideas off set piece are working really well and the players are so enthusiastic to try these things and um, we did a piece on it during the week just on one of the simple setups they have and the amount of variety they have off that the little tweaks they're adding on to it every week and and you can see that there's that sense of fun almost in the players kind of trying to bring new uh, new layers onto those moves so that's really exciting for them um, and those are good things to, to base your play on I think they would have been disappointed to, to concede those uh, those uh, 27 points but Peter Wilkins on defence has done a lot of good work there as well and um, Andy Friend has really backed those assistant coaches to do their jobs uh, while overseeing everything and using his experience to, to guide them um, so that's a really uh, happy coaching team as well which is really important yeah, is that part of the reason why they did rotate, actually, what Bernard was speaking about there, the fact that they would expect to be in the Champions Cup next season? Now, I know you could conceivably qualify for the Champions Cup by reaching a Challenge Cup semi-final this year, depending on how things go, um, but it's, their priority is probably the conference in the Pro 14, and therefore it was like, you know, if we don't get through... Let's try and qualify for the main competition through the domestic competition anyway. It's not the end of the world. Yeah, Pro 14 was definitely their priority. I think they were pretty open about that. 
Um, but you're never going to just throw a game or throw a campaign. It is a tough quarterfinal away to Sale Sharks. Um, they've shown they can beat them at home. It'll be even tougher away. And, and Sale have been in pretty good form over over in the uh, Premiership as well. Um, but I think it's just it's just added to what they've been doing in the Pro 14, which has been so positive. To get that run in Europe is really good. And more exposure for players on, on that weekend rather than sitting watching Munster and, and Leinster and, and Ulster going at it. They'll be playing another big game as well against really good high-quality opposition. So I think the ambition within that squad and certainly the quality within that squad now, those players will feel they should be in the, the top tier competition. So that's the, the big target. Yeah, certainly a happy camp. They went for a few drinks in the hotel afterwards, I was told, and uh, wanted to go out in Bordeaux, but the city was infested by yellow vest protesters. So they were advised <laughs> to stay indoors. <laughs> a quite Good choice. In. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, well, let's look ahead then to the fixtures this weekend in the Pro 14 before we wrap, gents. Um, Ulster host Benetton on Friday night uh, in Ravenhill. Uh, it's a big game. Uh, you know the the playoff race there is um, is is really uh, tight. So I think actually for Ulster that's actually a really big game. Albeit it won't get much attention on the on the outside. They'll be putting a, a big focus on on getting that home win. So Benetton have been really impressive this season so far. I think they'll suffer with the Six Nations greatly. Um, but yeah, that's an important game for Ulster. Yeah, important game for both sides there, Bernard. Um, Leinster at home to the Scarlets, who you'd know plenty about. Yeah, um, Scarlets have had a, a bit of up and down season. They Their attack actually kind of bounced back into life against Racing at the weekend. Uh, they just haven't had, they've lost all confidence in their attack and you know they've had some trouble at 10, obviously. Um, to such an extent, they're actually playing Hadley Parks at, at 10 for a couple of games and it just, Hardly Park's a brilliant centre, but as a ten, he he, he struggled. Um, they've gone back to Dan Jones um, at ten. Obviously, Patchell's had some some concussion problems, but Scarlets still provide the most players to the to the Welsh team, and obviously Leinster do provide a huge amount as well. But in terms of depth, um, Leinster are a different level. So I think um, Leinster Leinster will get the, another win there. Uh, yeah, that's on Friday night as well. And you're heading back to your old home for yeah. Dragons against Munster on the Saturday. Yeah, I'm going over to to move house and uh, um, pick up a bit of commentary work or, or punchy work with, with Premier. So um, yeah, I'm at the Munster Dragons game. I think Munster, again, obviously lose a few, but the Dragons were very poor against Claremont, a very strong Claremont side last weekend. And um, yeah, they're missing some of their internationals, which for Dragons is a is more consequential than than the big teams because obviously our our depth there isn't as, as strong. So Munster's big chance for them to to get an away win and you know keep ahead of Glasgow who had a little blip and have now lost it in top top spot. Yeah, later on in the Saturday, then Connacht up uh, up the road in the Welsh capital again. Really important for the the playoff race. Uh, Cardiff Blues will see it as a really good opportunity to reel in Connacht. They're only five points behind them in the table. There, Connacht obviously level with Ospreys on thirty seven, so it's really heating up in both those playoff races. Um, and for Connacht again, it's really important to 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 keep that five point gap uh, from Cardiff Blues or even extend it this weekend. Um, I actually think it's going to be a really tough place to win. I, I think Cardiff Blues are so good at that uh, turnover breakdown threat is is massive um, and they'll look to prevent Connacht playing with the kind of tempo that they want to play. So really tough ask for Andy Friendside. Yeah, we uh, are almost out of time. We have to pick a book winner before I forget. I'll just run you through the questions again, Bernard, if you don't mind, and you might do the honours. Uh, or Higgins, 2308. Should Ireland use Six Nations as a squad strengthening exercise? Chief Keefe, who asked, with Ross Burnsell at Leinster, should Joey make his monster move a permanent one? Uh, Boganator, do you think Scotland could be top two contenders this year? 
who else did we have? We had Aaron on the email. He was asking, a lot of people have said Monster don't have an identity. Uh, do you think this could now have changed? Anyone that stood out there? Um, or will or- we keep the book? you promise it now Uh, or Higgins um, a question should Ireland use the Six Nations as a squad building exercise for the World Cup I think it's probably best question spot on fair play to you or Higgins we will be in touch and we'll fire you out a copy of Behind the Lines number two a reminder that uh, next Thursday night at Liberty Hall Theatre in Dublin we'll be sitting down myself and Murray with Simon Zebo to look ahead to Ireland versus England and the Six Nations as a whole should be a bit of crack and we look forward to seeing you there. Um, we will have a podcast as normal next week, a little bit shorter, and then we'll also have that Zebo chat as a, a separate podcast, so a bit of a bonus one. Next week, enjoy all the rugby over the weekend. Bernard, thanks a million for joining us. Yeah. We'll have you in again, um, especially if Andy's on holidays. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm only joking. <laughs> Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Cheers, and uh, enjoy yourself over the weekend as well as you go back to, uh, to Newport. And uh, Murray, thanks to yourself as always. Cheers, Gav. Uh, we will chat to you next week. Until then, take it easy.